Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. And as part of our 150th episode special, we're doing something we don't routinely do, but we are going to be doing a watch along with um, a um, one of the movies on that list, which is The Shining. And have we ever done a movie that we liked as a watch along, Frank? I don't think what we have we done? We've done Nell which definitely didn't like right um we've done first watches where we stopped and stuff like that but in terms of watch alongs like it was mostly cage stuff wasn't it do we do a watch along of scream 2 we did we did yeah i mean yeah. i don't really like that movie so I right guess that's the determine right that was the determination we came to um yeah and then it was like the cage one of the cage movies was that not what's the fast and the furious thing like, oh gone in 60 seconds gone in 60 seconds um and then we did something else with cage i remember oh we did something else too like the one where it's like this weird interaction with the son and the father oh um, um shit yeah i can't remember it either um Anyway, if you want to listen to our other watch-alongs, um, they're they're labeled. Um, most of them fall under the quick cage category, except for that Scream 2 that we did, um, I think, as a bonus episode. But, um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm excited to do this. I don't think you and I have ever watched The Shining together, if I remember correctly. No, we never have. And um, so because this is on your top five movies with hauntings, um, is your because i mean you probably know about i know you do have you watched room 237 before um not in one consecutive sitting i've watched it like here and there sure it um it it annoys the shit out of me like i'm not gonna lie so (laughs) sure sure um most of those things are absurd but um this is a movie that has intense like in you know intense amounts of interpretation um out there and uh i don't really buy into like a lot of that kind of stuff but uh the one thing i am interested in this is because you have it on this list you see this purely as a supernatural movie mostly right yeah i mean i take it at face value okay um there's a lot of stuff out there that there are no ghosts in this movie and that it's all kind of psychological um in a lot of ways so i i kind of like can see one as being subtext and one as being the text or like see that there's a melding of the two that's going on um myself but um so yeah it, I, I that's one of the reasons i've been interested in watching it with you is just um is picking your brain um about some of those ideas but also um kind of just like watching this movie it's like we have it on we're going to be watching this on HBO Max and we have a pause at 12 seconds. And I'm just like looking at the first frame of this movie and just how like damn magical, like in so many ways, like Kubrick was at like filmmaking and stuff like that. I mean, what like this, like the first frame is so damn beautiful um, for such a disgusting movie, like at its core, like thematically, like um, <clears throat> just picturesque. Um, but I mean, this ranks pretty high in terms of horror movies for you, right? Maybe not as high yeah. as me, but uh, Shining's a top twenty movie for me. Yeah, right. That's what I thought, and um, 
and uh yeah i mean i don't think i made any bones about it on the podcast before that this is this is my favorite horror movie probably but yeah it's it's interesting that people i wonder sometimes with with great movies like this because i think this transcends i always hate like the pigeonholing of horror as being just like some niche genre because i think it's pretty expansive but I think this like transcends just being like even a great horror movie because it's just a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess that maybe there's some people that are more like in their own worldview, less interested in the idea of the supernatural and just look for other things in it because it's such a powerful movie in general that it's easier to appreciate if you're not viewing it as like quote-unquote just a horror movie maybe so i don't know sure i agree i mean i do think i would say that i think kubrick opens it up a bit more certainly than the novel does um to to allow for those things by not putting so much backstory in it as king does in the novel yeah so i mean we'll talk about this like as we as we go through like watching it but to me the way that i view this movie is that the haunting that's taking place within the confines of the overlook is exacerbated by the psychological trauma that existed in the yeah. Torrance family before they got there. Like, it's just, it's I, pulling from yeah. that. That's largely that's how I view it as well. Yeah. Influencing what, whatever supernatural force exists, like within, you know, this world, like that's what it's pulling from. Agreed. I, I think the, the things that are kind of, that you can maybe piece together for yourself is that what that history of that family and the trauma within that family that's you're forced to piece together but the yes the 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 overlook is kind of mimicking that or like using it as like fodder for the horrific things that they showed them in some ways that's that's kind of how i meld the two different views of like it being purely supernatural and having no ghosts whatsoever all being psychological um and there's a couple key scenes that i definitely want to point out to you and um get your thoughts on them because uh, they're they hit like the two theories like two different paths hinge on those scenes so all right you ready to go ahead and just get started on this because we got two hours 15 minutes ahead of us so whenever you're ready all right so on on uh one so three two one So not just like the, I mean, because you mentioned the, the the picturesque nature of like this opening shot, the, um, I guess it's a flyover maybe on a helicopter because they're mm-hmm. so low, yep. but you have that and then you have this like, almost like Hall of the Mountain King, like menacing, like score building. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, um, the song is Iris Dari. Um, it's an old uh catholic liturgical uh that you would really know if it was sped up like it's commonly interpreted but um it's been slowed down a lot um in this and yeah it's just completely like menacing and ominous um but yeah that song was used for like uh, like uh like funerals and stuff like that like which is sort of appropriate here sure um the, the the thing that I find interesting is uh, what's coming here in a second. If you listen to it, is this kind of like weird these weird sounds that come in the wailing that's going to come here in a second probably. Um, 
it makes me wonder about sometimes some of the Native American stuff because if you listen, there it is. It gets more, there you go. I mean, it's really good. Yeah. Really good sound design. Uh-huh. Hugely influential, too, I think, in terms of... Um, and he doesn't really use it very much, like, in the context of the whole movie, but when you look at, like, later horror movies or anything that even has kind of a mystical bent to it, um, it kind of pulls that, like, wailing, mm-hmm. um, like, dissonant almost like tuneless wailing to go along with um i was just watching something the other day what was i watching um maybe something for the podcast i was was watching something the other day and it used that to great effect like that um the almost like tuneless Mm -hmm. vaguely inhuman like noises like underneath the soundtrack and i was thinking um just how effective that is yeah I another don't... genre that that pulls that technique is uh the fantasy genre a lot of times mm-hmm. um when they're setting up something that's using magic or meant to be taken like out of the context of the actual like physical world like they'll use the zach zach snyder will use it all the time too a lot of times yes well <laughs> yeah we're talking about good movies here so <laughs> I think it's interesting too, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, during the course of this, just how for still being a relatively young man, um, Nicholson is so in command of like his his presence and his the way he holds himself. He is. Yeah. Um, throughout the entire movie. And it's almost like an unspoken I don't know how to say it, but you just can see like the breakdown of his his own psychology like throughout the course of the movie sure um i don't know if you know about the layout of the set for the overlook and how none of it actually makes a lot of sense um there was a guy who tried to do make a, a tuke nukem uh level of the overlook and realized and like people started studying it more back in like the late 90s how nothing actually connects in there and in fact that window that's in almond's office is like an impossible window um when you like you know map it all out um it's it's kubrick probably fucking with people like and making it disorienting yeah well that's part of the whole um i don't know the subtext that people read into it right is that what you're seeing is not actually it's it's at the overlook is kind of like this mute mutable thing that changes yeah depending on who's in it yeah and without intense study it's something people wouldn't notice but might work on a psychological level like where yeah it's your girl yeah it is my girl love me some shelly duvall mm-hmm. she's looking amazing here mm-hmm. What is I, the um okay. What is the theory here with the red ledger? Isn't there something about 
I don't know about the I don't know about that one. I could have sworn there was some fan theory about this red ledger on the corner of his desk. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. There's like a theory about everything. I always think this damn scene is so awkward. I love the guy that plays Almond here. Like Yeah, he's um he reminds me of uh what's his name from the Christopher Guest regular um, Oh yeah 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 what's his name? Yeah. I yeah. can't remember his name now. But who's in all the all those movies? Yeah. He just comes off as very uh like it would be the real guy, like that would be behind that desk. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first time I'm really sitting and like kind of studying the layout of the office and the way he holds himself in the scene like he's uncomfortable to some degree Almond. and i'm assuming it's like the idea is he's uncomfortable because he knows he's going to have to tell him about like the history of the place maybe i think there's also an element of I me mean, yeah that but the idea that other caretakers have met their end and this is maybe a man that he's kind of interviewing for something that might kill him or drive him right, crazy. Right, sure, yeah, yeah. And also the idea that they just want to get out, you know I mean? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I meant by, like, how comfortable he looks is knowing he's going to have to talk about the isolation with him and the and the idea of Grady and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Such a sick movie in some ways on a rewatch. It's a good um it's good to have this scene the way that Kubrick juxtaposes like the two halves of the interview mm-hmm. with um uh Danny and uh Mrs. you know Shelley Duvall talking to each mm-hmm. other with Tony basically saying like I don't I don't want to go there yeah um that torrance is so just self-serving in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but the only thing he cares about is being able to come up here because he envisions himself like whatever this great american writer and also i guess because you know did they talk about the fact that he he lost his job because of his alcoholism is that specifically mentioned in the movie or that's just something it's it's just in the book um no he um that what he just said though there that is going to be something we'll bring up later it's important i think is uh is that he calls him charles grady uh almond does and says that the girls were eight and ten um a lot of people see that as um 
as this being kind of like put in Jack's head in some way, the idea of this, because later his name becomes Delbert Grady in when he, when Jack like sees him. Hmm. So that he's imagining Delbert because he can't remember Charles. Yeah, we're going to get into that probably here here very soon as ebert actually points it out on his re his initial review um he points he's the first one to point it out from what i understand is that um there's a lot of reflective surfaces throughout this movie um door reflective doors mirrors and stuff like that and a lot of times when people are um especially jack is um dealing with ghosts there's always a reflection in some way almost like it's mirroring himself as opposed to hmm. I still think that could work on some text and text, but whatever. That's not necessarily true for Danny's experiences with the ghosts. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll explain to you when we get to the Danny stuff. Although, I mean, look at what we're doing here. <laughs> oh, such a good voice that kid does. So it's like people talk about that, like, well, like, you know, how could that not be him, like, precognition in some way? But it's like, if his deepest fear is he's going to get it, like, he would know that he's going to call, you know? I mean, that's how they explain right. it away. I mean, I guess I'm okay with that. But at the same time, I think that... I don't know. There's some deep things that would need to be explained, though, for it to absolutely be true, I think. One of the most magical shots, like, ever, I think. Um, I don't know if you know, he um, he did this in three takes for a guy who is notorious for um, doing, like, hundreds of takes sometimes. Yeah. He got it in three takes. Look at the um, Goofy over there. Have you ever noticed that before on the right? In the red and the in the blue, and look at the little. Her. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it almost has to be on purpose. Yeah. So mean. Yeah. Yes. Shelley Duvall is so underrated. There's a. So that. Remember the bear behind him here. Um, all of my like knowledge of all this stuff, I have no idea most of the time where it comes from. But I will say, um, just shout out a guy named Rob Egger. Um, his YouTube channel is Colid of Learning. Um, he does tons of like stuff on The Shining. Um, and really worth watching if you really like this movie a lot. But he has a very specific theory that I've kind of bought into over the years.
a little boy that lives in my mouth. Mm. Notice on that question, does Tony ever tell you to do things? And that's the question he doesn't want to answer. It's interesting, like the the coldness of the light in like almost all of the mm-hmm. all of the scenes mm-hmm. yeah he does it's gonna uh there's something i want to point out to you with um the the maze at one point he does with lighting that i found out about and it's fascinating but yeah look at the cold white light coming in there like from the outside yeah. and it washes out the outside world too like you don't mm-hmm. see anything out a window like even in that scene in the um the office where Torrance is being interviewed um you see the 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 outline of the bushes but you don't see anything mhm yep Yeah, she's almost dressed like a like a raggedy Ann yeah. um, style. I mean, I know that it's kind of like watch your hand here. It's just it's just a little subtle, like just shake, like while she's. You know, this is one of the things that, like, uh, one of the things that King really hated was the casting on this movie. Um, he he. He definitely hated Nicholson because he thought Nicholson played crazy too much um, and was over the top, but he hated this because he always pictured King Rotor as a blonde cheer ex-cheerleader type that had never experienced something bad until they went to the Overlook. Um, and he thought that Shelley Duvall looked like a woman who had like had like a lot of difficulties in life. Um, and I don't disagree with him in that assessment, but um, I think it's perfect. Perfect. I mean, it's, I don't know, one of my, one of my favorite female lead performances, I think, of all time. Yeah. Most people that, most people that probably know this movie well know, like, the horrors that it took to get that performance, but, um, yes, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen, probably. pair looking away when she tries to defend it right look at that ash just right just yeah uh 
right in that look of disbelief on mm-hmm. the. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an incongruity too. She says five months there, and it's a different time. I can't remember how long. Like between like what was it? Five it's months three- and three years that he injured him. Is that what they? Is that what she said just there? Is it? I don't know. I oh no, he says it later. Three. He says it later. He says that that's three damn years ago. That's what it is. Yeah, but he only stopped drinking five months ago, apparently. first first interaction with the family and just that dismissive uh-huh like punish this child that's hungry verbally he's obviously not like happy or comfortable with his family and yeah yeah you know, but also he's been in a car with him at this point for like three hours. Sure, sure. That little smile of like telling his mm-hmm. great line yeah then this almost like science fiction-esque music yeah So again, you have the bright, almost like blinding white of the light coming in from the windows. Mm-hmm. So that magazine right there, people have zoomed in on it. It's a Playgirl magazine. You can probably see that enough from looking at the screen. Um, but people have looked up that issue of that Playgirl magazine, and there's a story on it about incest, like why parents sleep with their children. That's like one of the cover stories. Is it a playgirl or a playboy? It's a playgirl. Why is there a woman on the front of it? I don't know. I don't know what the issue is about. Like the one of the co- the other cover story, but it's a playgirl. Hmm. Also, why would a playgirl just be sitting in the damn lobby right. of this hotel? <clears throat> Always wondered about all these pictures too. Yeah. So there you go. Like even though they're in this picturesque, like mountain environment, like the windows, you just see the bushes and the nothing mm-hmm. beyond. Yep. But I guess there's a lot that leads credence to the fact that it is just all like an internalization, like some kind of like psychological. Yeah, I mean, th- there is. I mean, I, I think it's just Kubrick trying to unsettle the audience by having things not make sense. 
um, with, ju- with just when it comes to the set and everything. Um, he plays with lights all throughout this too. Like there'll be some interesting things with that. And there's things that appear and disappear all the time. Um, he's obviously just trying to put people in like this kind of like weird psychological mindset, I think, cause he's, he's too much perfectionist, I think. There's little girls for the first time. How, how, how old were you when you first saw this film? Early teens. Yeah. Same. I was like 12 or 13. I think the um, the high pitched like atonal whine is um really effective. Yeah, as like whenever there's anything supernatural present in the sense of like there's mm-hmm. I can't even explain it. Just like the sound in your brain, watch Jack. like unsettles you. Watch Jack. Check him out. <laughs> watch getting a little Jack getting a little peek. The picture over top of his bed is a picture of bears. It's like a child, like a child bear, and like a parent bear. <laughs> Have you ever done that in your life, Frank? Like push down the bed like that. <laughs> like check it out yeah i think so yeah yeah but only because i think it's a learned experience from seeing people do it in movies Mm -hmm. it's amazing when you watch a kubrick movie just at how Mm-hmm. weirdly masterful like almost every single shot is where everything has a purpose and a I don't know it's almost like there's nothing wasted in any of his movies I know I know it is I, that's why I like some of these movies I do want to watch again at some point when they make because movies. here's yeah like here's the scene but you're that's ostensibly just like a throwaway scene but you're establishing so many things yeah like the hedge maze, like the snow cat, uh-huh. um, and their relation to one another, and the immensity of, like, the enormity of the inside of the place. Right. It's showing you these places, like these settings that'll be whatever important later. Sure. And 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 he shoots them so long, so that their full bodies are in it. It engulfs them, like of how big this place really is. Yeah. Also completely like removes the the idea that this could be any kind of like set or anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know that it's like obviously an actual place Dan. Mm-hmm. And he calls uh, Wendy Winterford. Almost like he doesn't want people to have familiarity with her. I never really noticed it before now. But... 
That's an interesting thing, the trail of breadcrumbs given the ending. Yeah. And look how he's establishing all of this stuff, too. The freezer and the storeroom yeah. and... See, this is one of those points where it's like it's hard to explain this one. Right. Well, also, you know, later on in the movie when Danny's communicating with him across whatever, like a huge distance, like I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, remember, he also sees the snow reports too, so you could just imagine he was worried about them. Except he's sitting there with a nosebleed, like with the yeah, right. high pitched, like shine. Sure. One of the reasons why I have trouble watching that um, that documentary with people in their different um, their different in, whatever interpretations of this movie is, it's like with so many great movies, you can almost always whatever there's, there's whatever the native american to. stuff like right there there's the native american the baking powder and yeah it's relating i and look i don't discount any of the native american stuff i mean i think it's linking ultimately jack proves to be a sexist and a racist and i think jack is a tradition of like you know colonialism in some ways like you know i mean i think it's definitely there i just don't think it's like the entire movie like those people do I mean, there's the brief shot of the um, Native American chief, like in the middle of all the pictures earlier. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And there's a Native American motif to the one large um, open room. Yeah, the Colorado room. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and think about it. Like they said that it's like, you know, it's on, it's on Indian burial ground. Like, you know, um, I mean, I think it's like a almost like a virtue signaling statement that Kubrick was making is these places like you know honor the honor these Native Americans when it's like built on their bodies, you know. I mean, I don't think the whole movie's about that. <clears throat> Some people argue this is him talking to um, the way they explain the doc thing. 
is that he's actually talking to like kind of Tony here and that yeah. like this and that he doesn't really exist. Look how they mirror each other here when it goes into the medium shot. Scott McArthur's so good in this. Yeah, yeah, he is really good. After 147 takes that Kubrick made him do, apparently, of this scene. It'd be interesting at some point to watch Dr. Sleep again, too, and kind of talk about the... Mm -hmm. Just how good Flanagan is with like kind of wrapping a lot of this stuff up. Yeah. I um I don't know. Did I ever tell you that like when Scatman Crothers, this was his first movie, Nicholson got him, and then when he went on to do a second movie with Eastwood, Eastwood made him only do one take of his scene and he cried. Cause he thought <laughs> that like acting was like sitting there and doing like a hundred and forty some takes. Oh Kubrick. fact that like the concern gets deeper as it goes on like i i scat colors does this so well there it is and notice he's in front of the reflective surface of that door is what they argue mm -hmm. i think that's kind of a stretch yeah sure they give the he gives the scene you know and how he's slow he lets Crothers talk like Yeah, and that's a perfect um, explanation and setup for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
What a brilliant setup. That whole thing. Like, <laughs> gives you everything you need. I mean, it took 35 minutes, but still. Yeah. Yeah, see, there you go again. Like, just... The lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <clears throat> uh, this damn brilliant sound effect, like, throughout all of this with him on this big wheel. Hit in the carpet. Gone silent. Uh. Yeah, he really does film a lot of things through like mirrored surfaces or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's also a pretty common technique for yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can't you can't discount though the idea of like the shadow self or something. And every time any time you're dealing with mirrors, though. despicable It really bothers me him dipping the bacon in the egg like that. Mm. Why does it bother you? I don't know. I just I'm toast goes in a dipper egg, nothing else. <laughs> This uh, this was not, all all it was of the script was um Jack is not working, <laughs> um and Nicholson's the one that introduced the ball into it. <clears throat> So I noticed when um when Danny was riding past earlier on uh on the big wheel, he glances over at that table. Yeah. 
and then there's a couple other instances where like where he looks instead of staring straight ahead see that real like, quick just see that blue sky but go ahead yeah that's pretty blue sky right now look out i mean do you think that's because they're in the maze yeah and i think it's supposed to like suddenly like i don't know i think it's just supposed to fuck with you like subconsciously in some way um that it's like there's this bright blue sky and then suddenly when you go in it's like you know it goes back to that like whiteness again like as if nothing else exists i think this is just, i think i i know that they filmed some of it like indoors and some of it in a set i think this is the set probably but what what did you notice him looking at though when you were talking about him like where there oh, i don't know things? i'm oh, just okay. curious if there because it's mm. that table then it's the um the stairs and then there's another thing that he looks at and i'm not sure if that's where the elevator is necessarily mm. like i was trying to think spatially gotcha. um where the elevator is in relation to the colorado room because it's near the entrance right like it's at the end of this hallway yeah. that we're seeing now yeah This is another brilliant fucking shot here. Yeah, looking down over the... Mm -hmm. I would... Would you ever have any interest in going through a giant hedge maze like that? one that big now i think i might get claustrophobic actually like i i mean if it was a smaller one i would i'd maybe do it if i was at a place where they had one but i wouldn't seek it out so you just watched this recently because i recommended it to you but um the way that it's filmed like with the topiary here and just the time of day reminds me of um last year miriam bad all the time mm. in the way that they film um the garden of that palace or whatever i can't remember what the name of that place is called but yeah where the sharp angles of those trees are like cast in relief against the sun depending on the time of the day and here like the edges of the maze are cast in those really harsh like 45 degree angles like Mm -hmm. i don't know how much kubrick watched um god damn that's a lot of fruit salad um how much Kubrick watched other directors or whatever, but he watched a lot. He's I, I know somebody's pointed out before that um every time Danny's like on the season blue and blue and red every single time he's like on the big wheel in some way. Um, love to keep an eye out for it because I never really noticed that before. They say it's to mimic the the image of the of the uh, twins dead. Aren't they in blue and white? They're in blue and white with well, when they're dead. Oh, they right. shot them on the floor, like so they're covered in blood.
I think it's going too far, but I know some people have referenced even like that the back of the blue um, big wheel is like almost looks like a dress, like equating him with the little yeah, girls. It's a little too far here. Right. I know that we've discussed this before, but um, I got really mad reading uh, James Joyce's Araby in high school. <laughs> mm hmm. To me, that's, you know, like, sometimes a tree is just a tree. Like, you ain't got to read, like, too much into it. Yeah. Sometimes a big wheel, just a big wheel. Not to say that Kubrick didn't, like, layer subtext in his yeah. visuals, because he obviously, like, you know, pretty much the master of doing that kind of stuff, but... yeah. I the other thing that we haven't talked about is just like the weird different designs like on all the floors like these very like 70s-esque 60s 70s-esque designs on things but it's like everything looks so different in all these different places right. um but they're all just kind of like geometric type designs like which is disorienting in itself if you like look at it for too long like There's Goofy. <laughs> or Shelly Duvall. She's so, like, just nice. And I can't help but laugh because it's so disturbing. Uh, she's just all eyes and teeth. Uh, I love it. Jesus God, God. It's really um get the fuck out of here. Uh. been very good tonight i'm i'm sitting here drinking coffee but jesus that's the kind of thing makes you want to drink yes only because it's been mentioned many times before like <laughs> i to some degree this movie i've gotten used to it it triggers me a little bit because it's there's there's parallels to my own father and jack torrance 
So out of curiosity, because I've never really even thought about this before, mm-hmm. the scrapbook that he has next to himself when he's writing, is that all stuff about the Overlook, do you think? It is, and it was a plot element that was actually in the script and he, um, that Kubrick did take from the... Um... Oh, look at that shot. Look at that fucking shot. With the fucking horns up there on the moose and the fucking fire yeah. in the background. Like, oh my god. Everybody focuses on just like the disturbed look here, but it's like that if you pause it, it's like that shot's brilliant. Um, and all the photos are behind him too, of the of the old overlook photos and shit. Um and him just fixated out on yeah. that nothing that's beyond yes. Ugh, so good. Um yeah, the scrapbook thing is um it was a plot element of like all like the different stuff about the overlook that he had and was reading and stuff like that. Um but they just kind of like scrapped it um and and then just the 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 book remained um in shots though Okay, so that's the office in there. Okay. I was going to say, that didn't look like Almond's office. I forgot that she... It's the uh, radio. That's in the... Yeah, the radio's in the office yeah, where they have the interview. Office. Yeah, there we go. Um, she mentioned sandwiches in that last thing. Um, I don't know if you know this or I told, ever told you off air is um, Nicholson apparently hated cheese sandwiches, and for two the two weeks as they were prepping everything here before starting filming, uh, Kubrick would only let Nicholson eat cheese sandwiches to get him in like the right mindset for the character to make him irritable. Definitely the kind of things nobody would be allowed to get away with today. Um, right. God, you just feel so bad for. I do. It's here's this just genuinely like nice person that yeah. just wants to get along and I don't know, love her family and Let's see, was he in jeans now? Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it's it's red and blue in all of them, yeah, they're right. Oh yeah, the blue's even the same there, that sky blue. Yeah. Yeah, so what people say is that the twins are um, kind of his double in a lot of ways. It's his fear um, of of potentially being murdered.
as horrifying as it is, even the shot of them dead is like look at the like the way that they're like set up, like where it's like one's facing up, one's facing down. Like it's like Yeah, I don't know. I look again like I'm all for sorry, I'm just really enjoying yeah. watching this movie. Remember though, like the, 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 the twins were whatever, two years apart. Or not the twins, but the, the daughters were two years apart that were murdered. Right. Eight and ten. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that people point out all the time is that this isn't plugged into anything. The um the movie there is this called The Summer of Forty Two. I've never seen it. I've just read about it. Um, but it involves an older woman, um, almost like a Mrs. Robinson situation. an older woman and younger boy teenage boy now This is the most disturbing scene in the entire movie to me, I think. First of all, the tiptoeing stuff really gets to me. Like, I can't, like, you slept on my couch plenty of times, but that's because we've been coming out back from the bar or something. We've both been drinking, and I just go to bed. But um, when somebody's asleep on my couch and I have to tiptoe, um, I still get like irritable to this day and like have bad memories. So you um you subscribe to the idea that there was some sort of like molestation that occurred, right? Yes. Prior to them leaving. Yeah. And if you watch this scene under that guys, it's Yeah, the the bear that I mentioned in his bed earlier, and then there's the bear picture um that's over the bed in the overlook. 
Um, well, that'll come back later as well, the bear stuff. But um, the fact that he was, like, holding, like, his stomach and crotch when she's talking to him, like, all that dialogue with the doctor, it's like Tony lives inside his mouth and goes to his stomach. Like, Yeah. Look at how traumatized he is just by him holding him. Right, definitely, like, completely afraid of his father. Yeah, which could be the physical abuse, right? Like, you know, the jerking on the arm. And the precognition. Yeah. Doesn't want to, doesn't want to anger the father whatsoever. Yeah, or tip him off that he's suspicious. Look at all oh, that tone. Ugh. <laughs> Look at the change. <laughs> yeah, the way that his like mouth droops and mm-hmm. he got his hand on his fucking wrist right there. It's like ready to grab if need be. I fucking look. Oh, I never. Oh, the fucking nose thing. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, but that's the brilliant thing about this movie is you can watch that and just be disturbed by it without any, like, kind of, like, thinking about any of the dark shit that I think is behind some of this movie. Right, I mean, it still is just a <laughs> abjectly disturbing scene. <laughs> right. There. Okay. There's Jack, there's Jack Torrance's ball. And people that believe in this, they notice, they point out the sweater, because I I think you kind of, like, have to. What, the phallic nature of the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, 
and it's like the fact that two three seven like you know was open the ball like came rolling to him it's the thing that makes him go and investigate um so is the because the key is obviously in the door here Mm -hmm. is the thinking that it's jack torrance in there that's gonna that's doing something to danny and he's just imagining it's something else maybe yes the the idea is that that's this is where like the molestation really probably happened i mentioned this earlier um it's really impressive when you look at like the set like the boiler room set just how well in dr sleep flanagan recreated um the overlook hotel Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People point out that bearskin rug being so noticeable in that scene, too. Yeah. And really not having seen it before. Right. Assuming after the molestation has taken place here. Right. So what is then the idea that it's his guilt? Yes. Yeah. Takes so long with this shot. So yeah, now, right, and then the idea here is, yeah, look, sucking his thumb, like, and the reason he's having a dream about killing him is because he's tried to strangle Danny afterwards. Catatonic. I mean, it's the one thing that, like, subtextually that I definitely buy into with all this. I mean, I think you can easily, like, make that case. Yeah. (sighs) 
Now, this is weird too with the mirrors. Look, every time, like you presume there's mirrors on it and in, in between those pillar kind of pillars. Yeah. And it's like he reacts every time he passes like one of the mirrors. <laughs> like I'm assuming it's just blocking maybe of some sort for him to be doing that at certain points, but it's it's interesting. Here's that shining, like, wine kind of again. Right, because something supernatural or whatever. Uh-huh. Yep. I always think it's interesting, too, because this is obviously the gold room, but the way the font is played, it's the cold room, kind of, the way that it looks. Mm. this fucking scene and the way that Flanagan matches the scene and the McGregor scene like it's uh, just perfect there you go I mean supernatural wise like the fact that he like states he'll give his soul it's like and then it's like the next thing he sees there's that joker (laughs) now remember when he walks in that's a reflective surface too right Jesus, he's even a dick to Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta fucking troll him. Huh. There you go. There's the beginning of the racism. Like, like, there's no reason to make that comment. <clears throat> okay so that's consistent It actually really isn't because he's five months sober. Right. 
and they're uh, over a month. They're like yeah. six weeks in at this uh-huh. point. So, right. look at that look. Ugh. I feel that look in my I, my I, <laughs> Sure, sure. A bottle of Jack looks delicious. It took me so long, so many years, like to recognize that it was Jack when I was a kid. Even though I saw that bottle all the time. It's it's been noted that um the whole can't live with them can't live without them um can't live with them can't kill them like joke that followed up with that was extremely popular around this time. I mean, we're in the the era where that's still an acceptable line sure. of joke. Yeah, I mean, Rodney Dangerfield was gonna make a whole career out of it. Yeah. Oh, that drunk look. So here's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Look at, um, I don't know if maybe it's just the lighting, but look at his facial hair, like the level of his five o'clock shadow. Mm-hmm. It's heavier when they're in the scene where they're sitting on the bed and he's talking to him. Mm-hmm. And again, that might just be like the harsh lighting in that scene as opposed to the soft like up up lighting here. But um Yeah, it's definitely accentuating it. You forget how long the actual end sequence of this whole movie really is. Now... (laughs) A lot of people take that as confirmation that, like, too is like the reason he would say are you out of your fucking mind is because he knows that there can't be a crazy woman upstairs right mm-hmm. you notice he's like unsteady there at the end of that scene just a little bit like almost like he has been drinking well yeah and he's got glassy eyes too yeah so. I mean I'm it's it's the stairway sequence that really convinces me that Nicholson probably knew someone who was a drunk. Um, but, um, but yeah, he definitely. Yeah. 
I always the lighting in this scene is really interesting to me. It's like who has it's it's interesting because it's who has four lamps gone like in their place because he has like the two around the television and then he has like the two by the bed here. Yeah. But it creates such a unique look, you know, um, to the room. Yeah, I mean, Kubrick's really big on the whole symmetry. I fucking ex- zoom to an extreme extreme close up is um it's um they're all extreme close ups like once they zoom in yeah there's a I said, like, pauses there on the bed for a while. That's another thing that, um, specifically, I know Rob Eggers talked about that, like, that just very slight hesitation over the bed from this point of view. Oh, right. That's why it moves away from the extreme close up because this is, yeah, this is Jack now. Yeah, so the, the the idea with the molestation is this is him going into room 237 is him like almost um, reliving in the opposite way, like through Danny's eyes of like the molestation somewhere. Let me play devil's advocate here. Sure. Yeah. That doesn't really make any sense if you consider that room 237 is mentioned by Danny during his conversation with um, Halloran. Agree. And Halloran has an immediate negative reaction to the mention of that room. Sure. Yeah. This is why I tend to think subtextually the molestation is going on, but I think that you're right that there's like an evil presence force here in the hotel that is like kind of like like the people are like like jack is obviously drawn to this room you know i mean and because of that and like that they these forces are like you know kind of using shit against them and drawing them jarring jack at least certain places 
mean, I th there's a definite disconnect between Jack and Wendy where he never shows any sort of attraction or affection to her. Sure. And they're presented with this, mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't I mean, I don't really think this woman's attractive, but this shapely, like, naked woman. The, that's just the hotel, like, further using his own vices sure. against him. Agreed. This is uh, one of my favorite scenes in any horror movie here. When you get the realization that she's like a yeah shriveled mm -hmm. like corpse basically <laughs> yeah. and the fact that he shows it you know like how well lit this is yeah Like maybe this is the final moment where Jack is a cognizant human being is like recoiling from the horror that is the hotel. Yeah. It's like that little scene right there. The light was on like outside of that room. If you looked behind him and then the lights off in the hallway in that part now, um, right. that shit's happening constantly throughout this movie. Like where these lights are just like kind of like almost turning themselves off and on, which actually to me goes towards the supernatural element of things. Yeah. I mean, any, like I said before, any great movie is going to lend itself to multiple interpretations, I think. And Kubrick, especially just because of the way that he films things and the subject matter that he tackles. But, I think that if you just take it as a horror movie, I think it's super effective and a better telling of the story than, mm -hmm. in my opinion, King's like kind of overwrought prose. Not not that The Shining is a bad book, but so I mean, you, you certainly feel that Kubrick like improves that story though here, right? Yeah. So the you you brought up the idea of her being like an ex cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Um, they have a very intimate sexual relationship in the book, right? Um, and in in fact, the scene where Danny gets attacked in two thirty seven in the book happens because they're having sex, um, right? So it completely changes the the context of it, and obviously, this is Kubrick like reinterpreting that story. Um, but I think it's more effective here. Yeah. No matter how you read. Yeah, I mean, I say the novel feels more unrealistic that this guy goes to the hotel and suddenly is just like basically turned evil by this hotel. Like Jack's like, Jack in this movie is a piece of shit from basically the beginning. He just becomes more of a piece. His, his, his shittiness gets exposed throughout. Right. And she makes much more sense to be somebody that'd be married to him. So there's some um, credence to what you said, because there's definitely like him looking down and trying to mm -hmm. gather himself to tell the lie. 
yeah, having to lie there. It also drains the humanity out of, like, because this is the most human he's been. Mm-hmm. what's sick is he's his most human look he's his most human when he's gaslighting her yeah so Sam Raimi kind of takes some of this um to use in the gift uh which we talked about a couple years ago mm-hmm. um with what was that horror of the 90s i think is when we talked about that movie yeah um in terms of the uh, giovanni rabisi character in the um who also is You see how I almost, almost looked at the camera there? Yeah. Well, he's also glancing towards Danny's the, room at that yeah, point. Yeah, the bedroom. That's yep. where the mm-hmm. camera is. Yeah. Yep. The performances in this goddamn movie are so powerful. And the camera work too is just it's oh, amazing yeah. the way that yeah like such a singular talent Kubrick was mm-hmm. It's funny, too, because it also, you think about the opening scenes where they talk about how the hotel is closed, what is it, through November through March or something like that? March, I think it is, yeah. Is the five months that the hotel is closed, but that Mm -hmm. obviously at one point the hotel remained open in order to have New Year's Eve celebrations. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it also seemed like, you know, back in like the 20s or whatever, um, 30s, it was much more almost like hedonistic place as well. So I wonder if people just went up there and stayed like throughout the entire yeah. winter. Um, yeah, you're right. It does look like cold. <laughs> With the font. Yeah, I always, um, it's always been interesting to me is like the idea of, like ghosts leaving like cold spots or whatever mm-hmm. that it's almost like a centralized point for the haunting 
Yeah. And even in the, when you watch like all the way through to the end, the idea of the picture Mm -hmm. being basically like him in his evening dress, like with this group of people. Yeah. I never realized the colors match so well. His jacket, like corduroy jacket and Lloyd's jacket. (laughs) i always laugh for some reason the way he eats those like nuts or whatever lloyd's thousand yard stairs um Mm -hmm. and and he had no money before right right yeah he was empty so so that that begs the question is this is that a sign of this is being fantasy then if he had nothing literally in his wallet before or is it the idea that he sold his soul like i mean like or that he because you never see the interior of his wallet he just looks at it true that he's trying to get over on lloyd in the beginning yeah This is my favorite scene in the movie coming up. The bathroom scene? Yeah. such a fucking asshole (laughs) oh fuck I forgot his name who's the who's the really famous designer from What kind of designer? It's right. Frank it's it's uh oh, Frank, Frank, Lloyd. Frank Lloyd Wright? Yeah, he um this is mimicked off of the design of his that Kubrick saw in this bathroom. It's interesting. I was just about to make a comment on the fact that you come out of this obvious like anachronistic setting of, you know, like the nineteen twenties ball and into this like completely modern for the time mm-hmm. look at him looking into the mirror to look at him I, I mean this is an obvious mirror scene right here whether it's yeah. a ghost or not <laughs> like it's in the transference <laughs> if it's supernatural or it's him talking to himself yeah, that's, um, it's a difficult thing to explain because 
he breaks the fourth wall here in a second to show it too. <laughs> it, I think this movie has such a sick sense of humor. So on one hand, I can see where, because the thing is, is that this is Torrance. Torrance fabricating the idea of who this man is. And no, okay, so let me tell you something. Fuck the fact that these toilets are open to the world, like there's <laughs> no doors, right? And they're facing the urinals. That's disgusting. Uh huh. <laughs> Look, he, he thinks he looks like he's got him. Look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. Like he just completely like breaks the fourth wall. love this guy that plays Grady in this fucking turn. There he is. I mean, if that's his internal murder saying it it's terrifying and if it's a ghost saying it's terrifying I mean to me that's the horror of this movie is the idea that the horror is the idea that this place is so evil and such like a magnet for certain like lost souls almost that they exist outside of time in the sense that it's kind of like what makes not to keep bringing him back up um what makes uh, the, the haunting of hill house yeah okay. yeah there's some over yeah. racism right, right right and if that's jack internally we already know that like he's you know Sorry, go ahead, Val. Hill House. Um, that idea that Hill House is a place that traps people like outside of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that walk there walk alone, like whatever that fucking fantastic Shirley Jackson line. Yeah. But here's the re- another reason why I think that this just lends credence to the fact that it's a supernatural occurrence. And that maybe Jack also has an element of the shine. Mm-hmm. And that they're connected in some way, so that's definitely. why he knows like certain definitely. things. Yeah, definitely been theorized before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you think it's possible that Jack has the shine? That's why he's able to communicate with these spirits because Wendy can't. Right, and Wendy never sees anything either outside of like the horror of her husband like going crazy and trying to murder her yeah she does at the very end i can't remember only in the climax like kind of 
بصفر That guy was just in something we watched not too long ago, playing a completely different type of character. But I recognize his voice immediately. I can't remember what it was, though. Ugh. Corrected them, so. Hey. Mm, mm, mm. Hm. Amazing. Such a <laughs> King's on the record at some point of saying that Kubrick made a movie to hurt people. Which is one of the things he disliked it the most. And the thing is, I don't agree, or I don't disagree with King in that statement. It's like, I think this is an assault, like in some ways, like on the senses, like on your psyche. Yeah. I don't know what this... King would argue he was doing with his novel, but. Uh... <laughs> I mean, the majority of King's stuff is meant to scare, but then also provide like an element of hope, I guess. Yeah, right. I mean, which, the novel, which some, in, sometimes negates the heart. I mean, I mean. In the novel, um, Jack is redeemed posthumously. Yes. Um, whereas there's no redemption here. Yeah, because there's that ridiculous thing in the... Um, in the miniseries with um right. Steven Weber being like a ghost at his damn graduation or whatever. Yeah. Do you remember the hype for that miniseries coming out? Oh yeah. I don't know. We were um I think it was before we were friends. It was. Yeah. It was, it was like, like 97, 90, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Cause I remember um Chuck and Zeke and I were buying fucking TV guide every week. Because TV Guide had um, short stories that King had written that were like backstory. To yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and every yep. every issue of TV Guide leading up to the premiere of the miniseries, like it was about the Grady's. It was about some other like other ghosts that are in the hotel. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot about so that, but I do remember yeah. it now. Yeah. Oh, what an awful miniseries. I mean, it was completely in King's bad. vision, though. I mean, oh, yeah, cartoony, you know, De Mornay playing the Wendy character, exactly what he wanted, you know, the topiary, like bad CGI topiary and the bees and all the stuff he thinks is important out of this story. <clears throat> I mean, I think Kubrick took the elements of what and crazy, you think about it, like this is what a eight years before Twin Peaks, um, and then what eleven year, twelve years before, right, or eleven years before um, Firewalk with Me, um, but this is like 
this is just an exploration of you know potential sexual abuse definitely physical emotional and you know right. abuse um substance like how, abuse substance abuse yeah I, how often do you see this kind of stuff like i mean this is like what goes on in people's households like people didn't just like put that out there in this type of way i mean i love the fucking blue light there man yeah I mean, the implications are cool, right? Well, yeah, because he's in Florida. Yeah. I have, I always assumed, and this is just whatever fanfic, I guess, on my <laughs> point, <laughs> but <clears throat> that um, Dick Halloran lives in this, like, cabana house, <clears throat> like in Florida, where it's just completely laid back and tropical and beautiful and, like, the complete opposite of Colorado. Right funny though that he still has like you look up there he still has a um animal head mounted to his wall mm-hmm. <clears throat> like a gazelle or something right here wore one of those kind of like cloth ties like that ever right yeah i had one when i a, a while ago yeah when i was working at the movie theater i, I, I can imagine the, yeah i can imagine they're comfortable like at all um i figure they get all knotty like at the top there like because they're so thick they're just weird to tie and they don't they don't sit right like against um yeah against like a dress shirt yeah yeah i had one that i got from a um a vintage store because i had a smoking jacket at one point so i had like a red and black check smoking jacket and then i had this um um like black and black and red with like gold trim like i don't know it was ridiculous i don't think i told you my last suit i want blue yeah with it um blue and light brown like uh belt and shoes um and actually i I was i didn't know how it would look but it, it came out pretty well took me like an hour and a half to like match things up but that's why you never, just ask. I've never done blue before. It's not like a navy blue. It's like a you know. It's like a I don't I don't I don't know my blues very well, but not sky blue a, obviously. But I had a lighter blue suit. Um, cornflower almost at one point I would say. See, we're not even talking. Like, this is one of my favorite aspects of this movie. Is that like he takes so much time with Dick Holleran's story? I mean, it's one of the most obvious things I think of The Shining that most people would recognize or talk about. But it's like I love the idea that they spend so much time with this character trying to make his way up there. <laughs> Great line. Um, And the only reason he does it is just to fuck with you. Right. Because it's like in every other movie, he's the savior. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... It it really is just a setup for, like, you know, that one scene 
yeah that completely catches you off guard right we're, we're and we're not talking about it right now because we know right right but, but it's like because <laughs> because you're invested the first time you see it ever because you're like oh like you know like where's this going like what's going on is he going to be able to make it up there is he going to be able to save them and it's like not you know once you've seen the movie you know but it's like all this stuff like <laughs> the first time you see it works so well in the thinking and making you think like oh look at the like all the things he's going through to try to save him etc cetera, etc cetera, and mm. yeah like i said king's not wrong movie <laughs> movie to hurt people like i wonder if this is the same cartoon that's on down in the um the service station because it's a roadrunner cartoon isn't it yeah but i can't remember i was trying to figure out what it was because you only get those two quick shots when he's leaning against the counter yeah. on the phone people have pointed out the almost roadrunner nature of the ending of this movie like what does the roadrunner do <laughs> he tricks the coyote into killing himself right There is really some um, some odd like dissonance with time in this movie. Yeah, in the sense that it's now obviously morning, right? Just by the the light. Yeah, and they put eight a.m. up on there, but it's like all those tags don't make any sense either. If you right. So if you really think about it, we're a month in and then we're a week in past that month. Right. And now one more day past that week. So I think it's I think it's Monday and then Wednesday and then Saturday. Something like that, yeah. And now we're in and then back to like it's like Tuesday, I think now. Right. But now then but but then it wasn't even a a day. It was just a time, eight AM. Right. (laughs) Of whatever day it is now. Like there's another movie that does that. I can't remember what it is where it takes you through a series of days and then on the last day of like where the the end of the film it just takes you by time but i can't remember what what movie that is yeah uh, it feels like we've talked about on the podcast because i almost feel like we've had that conversation about how it almost mimics the shining in terms of going by hours or something like that yeah it's like the final day Mm -hmm. fuck what is that movie i don't know I feel like it's something I've watched recently, honestly. Was it that all, was it the condemned or some shit like that? No. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that movie. <laughs> that movie wasn't trying to mimic no shopping. <laughs> Movie's just mimicking itself. I don't know. It's hard for me to say this is like a, another favorite scene, but this is uh well, not her finding the typewriter stuff, which is interesting in its own right. And the first time you see it has to be like I can't remember the first time I ever saw it, even though. Yeah, the framing here is crazy, like with that. um... Oh, my God. So I have my earphones on, Frank, in this. I could have sworn there's a can you hear the rumble? In the sound of this? No, because I have my headphones on and I'm trying not to have it up too high. There's this 
there is this rumble that sounds like somebody is doing um almost like like a helicopter's flying outside or there's construction work and i took my headphones off and like i can't hear shit like when i take them off um but it's like so low that i can only hear it like i think i've never heard it before watching this scene so let me tell you that it's actually and you've you've experienced this because you you guys went to see this um at regal right when they did the or at Cinemark when they did the re-release. It was it? it was Regal, yeah. Me and Easter went to go see it at Regal, and Chuck and I went to go see it down in Baltimore. Um, so I got to see uh, um, a twenty-four millimeter print of this movie, like an actual like. Print, oh yeah. Uh huh. Um, down at University of Maryland, um, ninety-six, ninety-seven. They showed they had a series of Halloween movies. They did this. They did Eyes Without a Face. Mm. Um. There was like five or six, and we went to see him. Wicker Man uh, was okay. one of them. Uh-huh. Um, and seeing this in the theater, like with just that sound, like encompassing you, mm-hmm. and is mm-hmm. um, agreed. It's almost like inimitable. Like, and I love watching this movie. It's I'm really glad you had the idea for us to do this because I'm just kind of fascinated, like watching it again. Even though this is maybe like the I don't know in the teens number of times. Yeah. <laughs> I ah <laughs> uh, poor Wendy. How do you like it? this is um (laughs) this is the scene that i i always argue where it's like nicholson nicholson knew a drunk um i would even argue grew up with a drunk not that he didn't have his own drinking problems, but this kind of trolling is um Yeah, it's almost like a aquatic tenor yeah. to his voice. Mm-hmm. Like the distortion, not only from the echoing inside, like this giant open room, but just like some extra effect added. But there you go. The, uh, uh, it's that kind of shit. Like the overacting. Right. The facial expressions. The mocking, like right, passive aggressive but aggressive nature, like uh. Jesus Christ. 
that high that high pitch mimicking is something my father used to do. I mean, I think this is an uncomfortable scene to watch, no matter. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> of course. Fucking Jack, the ultimate like men's right activist, like you know, like. Right. Who the fucking films that scene like that, Frank? I don't know. <laughs> Change in tone. Here. He also gets lit different right there. Yep. I mean, I guess it's just coming up into that. Yeah, yeah. that that shit <laughs> it's all a big fucking game until he gets hit in the hand right, right? you know and then it's like god damn and then you know there also is some the physical stimulus of like the pain like maybe sort of waking them up a little bit mm -hmm. to what's going on yeah 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 so not that he wouldn't do a close-up necessarily of it ever but it's like people point out they do the close-up with his head and that blood coming down his head like that um you're obviously not remembering a couple of things that are coming later, but just remember like that, like blood streak coming down his head there. From like the hit on the head. So now this is when it comes to the supernatural stuff is one of the more important things in terms of the interpretation of this is when he gets locked into the storeroom. Sure. Um, probably the most important beside even the doc thing is that he gets locked in here 
and he ends up getting out and it's like how the fuck does he get out right yeah there's no logical way that he gets out of this so i mean that's obviously here's the thing is she she locks the bottom lock there right yeah she puts the pin in the bottom but she puts the pin in right yeah and the top lock she doesn't lock whatsoever is like what is that thing that he's holding right there so in any kind of walk-in freezer yeah, you have you. an emergency push mm-hmm. um because it's a um what's the fuck like a panic bar kind of thing sure like how when you leave like a building you hit the bar and the bar automatically disengages the lock that's the same thing mm-hmm. where if you were to walk in there and the door were to shut behind you that pushing that would release the lock but if the pin is in it wouldn't do anything because gotcha. that pin is just a piece of metal that stops. kind of blocks it from happening yeah. yeah so even like not locking that top lock wouldn't matter because unless he was able to shear that pin off right yeah maybe with enough force you could cause that pin to break um i guess if you want to argue for a completely non-supernatural answer but i would think that with the fact that his ankles obviously sprained or broken yeah um it would be difficult for him to put enough force behind it to so so yeah like those things that you're talking about in the oxygen door kind of acts as the same thing right uh yeah it's a panic bar it's right something where from the outside you can't open it but yeah if if you've like ever worked in like a restaurant or fast food or whatever like almost everywhere has the panic push on the outside because the door is not meant to be open from the inside <laughs> who films that like that frank yeah <laughs> like, <it's... laughs> so the clock up there looks like it's reading seven so uh, i guess it's 7 p.m at this point mm. yeah it wouldn't make any sense for it to be so bright at 7 a.m well, right. Well, we already knew it was 8 a.m. when all this started, like, from this. So. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's evening, maybe. Yeah, but in January, you're going to have that much sun at nah, all right. 7 yeah. o'clock at night. Like, right. there's, yeah. like I said, right. there's no. Um, yeah, the time, that's what I'm saying. The time's all fucked up, I think. A lot of dissonance to what time things are happening mm-hmm. I, again i think it's a disorienting factor that so there's some i know one theory about the storeroom if you're trying to make it not supernatural is that there's actually another door according to the layout of the place that has been established like that doesn't look any different than what it just showed like who knows how long jack's gonna sleep here but there's actually another door near the door that we just saw um it's behind some boxes um 
is they've established on the in the hallways that there's another door that should go into that room that's like hidden behind the boxes possibly um there's other theories that it's like the axe is actually in here look at jack jack's eating some peanut butter and crackers and peanuts and oreos maybe <laughs> he loves them peanuts we made a mess too What is that that's open up there? I never noticed that before. Is that like a olive oil or some shit? To what side, right or left? To to our right on the screen, like up on the shelf. There's a bottle of something that's open that's half gone. It's maybe like apple juice or something, or maybe it's like vermouth or something. So much ketchup. Look at all that tang. Mm -hmm. Tang, country time, Kool Aid. Old country time. Look at that. Look at that country. Old country time there. Look at those Nilla wafers. Eat them with some orange juice. <laughs> Sanka. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of those. Um, the Calumet or whatever the that has the the Indian chief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's right behind those boxes is where the door would have been. Is way possible. I mean, I know it's supposed to be an echo, but like, think of how like that the echo that they're putting on it is, sounds so ghostly. Yeah, like Yeah, so that doesn't really, I don't know. I. It's the one reason why I like, is, is what you said before the podcast started here. It's the one reason I go along with you is that I think it's a mixture of the two. I think there's subtext to like the, the, the family dynamics and the trauma, but the hotel like you know and some of that's going on in the hotel but the hotel is also using those things against them like yeah and that there's actual spirits like i mean it's maybe the greatest haunted house movie ever made in the sense that it's the it's it's whatever is in that hotel is what's i i love the way this is filmed too just this mm -hmm. him driving up the mountain in the snow mm -hmm. cat 
Yeah. I mean, like how many, well, right. It's like, um, it's like when you're driving it like late at night down a back road, like, you know, I mean, it, it has that feel to it. Lynch does the same thing all the time. He does it in Lost Highway. He does it in like Twin Peaks The Return. Like there's there's something about the idea of darkness, but lights being shining on things that um that's effective. I don't know what it is. Damn, that's really loud in these headphones. Yeah. I've never listened to it with headphones before. It's really interesting with the sound. That's funny, like, that it's open there. Like, have has Shelly DeVault, has Wendy, like, worn lipstick at all in in this? Mm, I don't think so. Hmm. Look at that CRT. Yeah, look at that CRT. Oni's the Oni's need some battle toads on the mm-hmm. the overlook CRT. Yeah. It's crazy that with her husband threatening to kill her, she can just like sleep. Although right. I guess like you're right. What else you gonna do? You need your energy, right? Did you figure out Red Rum the first time you watched it, or did you already know it before you watched it? I knew it before. Did you? Yeah. I knew I, it from Mad Magazine. Gotcha. You and your Mad Magazine. Read a lot of Mad Magazine. I know. I, I, I did not know what it was and, and did not figure it out. I love the um, the camera following the axe. Mm. Mm. It's just so like violent. They give such a. It's funny they had to film that shit a lot apparently because um, Nicholson. I can't remember like what job he had had at some point, but they they had weakened the door. Um for like an actor to like use an axe against but he had had a job where he'd used an axe before and like he's just fucking destroyed the door (laughs) on the first take so um they ended up having to like redo all of it later It's good, too, because they've established the fact that the snow was piled high against this uh-huh. point, like, three or four times. Yep. Poor Wendy. It always makes me really uncomfortable to watch Wendy do that. Yeah, I'm very uncomfortable about that kind of stuff anyway. 
Yeah. Like tight spaces. Fucking Pooh Bear. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> Which is funny because there was a poo in the background, like in one in the Roadrunner scene, I think, not too long ago. <laughs> Come on, Pooh. Oh, what a fucking iconic shot. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that had to be really horrifying, too, just in general. Like, even right. if you, whatever, I mean, you, you're acting, but. Right. Just like the splintering of the wood and the mm -hmm. metal coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And how tortured she had been at this point. I mean. Yeah. Her hair was falling out. Like she, she, she said that at one point. Huh. Huh. Kubrick, Kubrick didn't understand that reference since he was an expat. He didn't. He didn't watch Johnny Carson. He thought it was just something Nicholson came up with. Um. <laughs> but yeah, she said that like there, she had to cry so much. That she was constantly just drinking water all the time to keep her health self hydrated because she would do so many takes with her and she, where she had to cry or tear up. Um, she was constantly drinking water all the time. <laughs> I mean, we're watching this movie and it's such a brilliant performance, but it like destroyed her life at the right. same time, which is really hard to watch now, too, in some ways. I swear there are times it's like it's almost a comedy. Well, so we know for a fact now that that door is open. The door leading in? The storeroom door. Yeah. You'd have to explain it through the storeroom door then. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense otherwise. I don't I know. Agree. I agree. Yep. 
It's the one thing that I'll I'll always argue there's a supernatural thing that's going on with it. So that's the elevator. Yeah, so you're right. Oh, fucking Dick Halloran. Just keep your mouth shut. You might have been all right. right. <clears throat> yeah, so it's just past the Colorado room, then. Yeah. But look at the different way that, like, you know, normally most directors, right, would, um, you've seen the Colorado room there from only one certain angle, pretty much, but it's like, now it's a completely different angle to disorient you. Right. Yeah, I mean, just to play off the fact that how big is this place and you don't know. Yeah. Right. Um. necessarily where he is in relation to Halloran and where he is in relation to Danny. Yeah, the the lights in this place are all fucked up. And just so you know, like the lights in like everywhere are fucked. Like why are there so many lights on all throughout? Like all throughout this movie when you think about it. Right. Because it's like it's just one family like living in this big ass hotel hotel. Like why would you need so many lights on like all all the time? Like, well, my guess is, like, in this scene we're watching now where Halloran's walking through the lobby mm -hmm. um, towards where the office is, which, again, different angle than you've ever seen right. this particular area of the hotel. Um, there's only one chandelier that's lit. Right. So he basically gets killed under a spotlight. Yeah. But also that just from a realistic standpoint, they probably would... <clears throat> turn off like a large number of the lights so that they couldn't use too much electricity sure well it's like 237 is nowhere near where their apartment is from what i can gather so it's like why would 237 like those lights any of those lights be on in that area of the hotel you know so this is just my assumption sure where you see her going through now yeah. is the back of the hotel, which right. is um, employee lodging. Right. <clears throat> which is why it's so, like, nondescript and All right. whatever. So and this, this is what I, just so you know, this is the sequence I'm talking about with her. Oh, right. With the... there, There's a few different things, but this is the first one, and this is the molestation. This is the tie-in to the bears. It was a dog in the book. It becomes a bear here. Um, given fellatio. Like, to an older man. Like, <clears throat> that's argued to be Wendy's realization of of that. And, the, and to me, I think the hotel is showing her that. Like, right. I, is, is, is my... But yeah, sorry. But uh, now Wendy's going to see all this shit. Like, so when he does see shit, it just it it only happens like now while all this is going on. 
I want Jack's jacket, actually. I really like that maroon jacket. It's got avocado all over it. <laughs> it does. It does. You gotta, you gotta clean so, that shit up. So does Delbert Grady's jacket. Right. It's okay. Jack's you know, you of- know, I didn't see that fucking that that shit like until like maybe like five years ago or something like that. Like the first time I noticed it, and fucking hilarious. Like thing Jack just slapping his fucking back. You know, it looks like he got some on you. Like <laughs> a prick. So now another interesting thing with the with the Native American stuff in this movie is um, apparently you know this is an old Native American trick. What what Danny does? The like luring someone and then backtracking. The backtracking itself would be like a way they would hide tracks apparently. But I mean, it also very much seems like a Roadrunner trick too, right? Okay, so that that wound on the forehead, this is one of those things I don't buy, is people try to compare that wound on the forehead to Jack's wound on the forehead. Oh, no, his is like to the left side of his face and it's small as opposed to this. Right. So maybe it's the trauma is like opening her up to seeing all this stuff that she didn't see before where she was so focused on the preservation of her marriage and her, the health of her son that now that she's been traumatized. So very possible, I think. Or the house has gained power, the closer Jack gets to possibly killing his family or something. I don't know. Like, like the hotel's like, gaining some sort of I don't know yeah I don't know I think all of that also lends credence to the idea that it's supernatural in nature yeah like I said I think it's preying on the on the trauma of this family um, but it's supernatural in the end She passed those elevators over where all those lights weren't on. Right.
you know, I I never really had this thought before, but it's like I think there's actually a lot of cartoonish elements in this movie. Yeah. Like there and I don't I don't mean like, you know, like like I'm laughing at it cartoonish in the sense of like it's not it's purposeful. Like, it's almost like the sick way to undercut, like, the actual, like, fucking terror and trauma of all of this. Sure. But, I mean, aren't cartoons, like, kind of horrific in their own way? Especially from, like, the... If they're, if they're not, like, right. Yes. Yeah. In their violence, yeah. The way they treat life? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad there's no, like, crazy-ass, like, topiary animals or whatever like it is <laughs> in the book. Right. Like, that's so fucking lame. It is. Do you remember the bee thing? I have vague memories of the bee thing. It's like some kind of bee's nest. Yeah, yeah. And it's in, like, Danny's room or whatever. Oh, my God, the kid that played Danny in that miniseries. Unfortunate. Yeah, awful. Kissing, kissing, that's what I've been missing. That's what they mm. keep saying in that fucking thing. Mm-hmm. They, um... <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I read somewhere where it's like, this this kid didn't see this movie until, like, ten years later. Because, like, Kubrick did, like, shield him from some of the stuff in this movie. Of, like, what it was about. Like, completely. Which goes to show that if he's shielding the child, like, he's, everything that he did, as fucked up as it might have been, really was to get performances out of people, I think. Sure. I mean, I think Kubrick just had a singular focus whenever he was making a movie, which is why whenever you watch a Kubrick movie, no matter what, there's, like, definite like power and vision behind the whole thing he just didn't care about these people like he just you know we're making this movie and right when it's done it's done but you know so do you know about like the alternate ending of this have you seen it at all i don't think so maybe what what is it where after it shows him like frozen or whatever um it cuts to them in the hospital and Wendy's in the hospital bed and Danny's like like out outside of it, like waiting or whatever. And um I can't remember who it is. Oh, it's Allman, like throws him like, you know, it's like, hey kid, you doing all right or whatever, and like throws him the tennis ball. <laughs> no, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um which if the tennis ball is what I think it is, um, is fucking sick as shit. Um But yeah, cops are like kind of like asking Wendy questions and Danny's outside and like 
it's after the you see him frozen or whatever. Oh, and they go back. Then his body's not there. That's the other part. That's like basically the ending of it. Is his body's not there after you, think, after you've seen him frozen to death. I mean, I think that's a hundred percent then confirmation that it's a supernatural thing because now he's in the picture. You know, right. he's right, right. That sound looks much more like a G than than before. It's also interesting here is you see the gold room thing. It's the same sign. Mm -hmm. But um, this is not the gold room that we're going into. Right. Right. And that's the first time that sign's been there. That's uh, you're absolutely right. Yep. This is one of my favorite um, tricks tricks if you want to do it like techniques in a movie which is the the repulsion repulsion technique yeah yeah you like that shit yeah i do i'm a real big fan of it there's been so many jokes at the bar before about like the fucking shining and shit like this (laughs) that's why i'm the piss ghost Look at the faces there. I know. Like of the. Yeah. Especially that guy with the mustache, like Mm -hmm. in the upper. Almost like. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's July 4th, Paul. July 4th. Oh, okay. Ugh. so yeah um um the one thing i'll give it so recently watched uh we we talked about the batman mm-hmm. on the spin chagrin um and how i felt like it was two hours and 30 minutes of a great movie and then 30 minutes of a not so great movie yeah um it's amazing that like two hours and 20 some minutes into this movie and it doesn't even feel like we've been sitting here for over two hours no like no. watching a film like it's just so expertly paced and edited and yes everything like you know and it felt like everything like was meaningful in some way um like i said the only thing is like largely we didn't like kind of like have something to say about or talk through was the was the the hollering scenes and it's like it's only because that's a gimmick Right, it really is just um, the first time you view it, a gimmick, you know, like yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I enjoyed being able to watch this with you. It's um, yeah, it's my favorite horror movie, not only from the filmmaking standpoint, but just there's a lot of things that are like really personal to me in this movie like as a as i watch it and um yeah yeah i just really um had 20s music advisors i never actually like paid attention to some of this stuff always a good time watching always super impressive and 
and you know i look i've watched this movie look i've watched this movie like over some like 40 50 times in my life i have no idea but it's like i still there's things i noticed <laughs> that i've never noticed before like watching it again like it's just that matched for and i'm sure like most kubrick movies are probably like that That old school Warner Brothers logo. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this is like a real, not really deep dive because we're mostly just kind of reacting to what's on the screen, but if you've never seen The Shining before, you really just need to go watch The Shining. Yeah. Whether you like, yeah, whether you like horror movies or you don't like horror movies, it's 100% like worth watching absolutely so thanks for doing this frank i appreciate yeah, it it's a good time yeah um i always like doing it when we do those um first watches or rewatches or whatever yeah we should probably do the things we like more more often um <laughs> yes <laughs> makes it a little bit more enjoyable rather than something we despise so all right thank you for listening everybody hope you enjoyed it have a good night yep all right good night